Now that was unexpected, but this is something else entirely. Let's get started. Another race for the world's greatest driver, Juan Manuel Fangio. Former world champion Jim Clark leapt into the lead. That's Clark's Lotus going like a bomb. And James Hunt is the world champion by just one single point. By being a racing driver, you are under risk all the time. And if you no longer go for a gap that exists, you're no longer a racing driver. And that is Michael Schumacher ahead, the world champion. To become a four-time world champion, Sebastian Vettel, Lewis Hamilton, champion of the world. That's for all the kids out there who dream the impossible. Max Verstappen, for the first time ever, is champion of the world. Yes! Hello and welcome to episode 21 of F1 in Review 2023. I'm Tom Claibon, I'm back and I'm joined by Angus Gallagher. Today we look back at the British Grand Prix, but first of all, in some breaking news in terms of today, that being Tuesday the 11th of July, there's been something that's bumped to the top of the order, that being that Daniel Ricciardo is back, making a surprise return to Formula 1, driving for Alpha Tauri. And that means that Nick De Vries has been dropped now after only 10 races He's going to be no longer racing for AlphaTauri this season. It's a uh, decision that becomes or comes in with immediate effect, should I say. Something that took me by surprise, Angus. What about yourself? Yeah, it did. I mean, despite the the rumour and conjecture that has been going on for a while now, as it does in the F1 paddock, as it can do, because it's a very, we talk about silly season often, but, often, but silly season tends to you know, apply throughout the year, I'd say, honestly. It just happens to just just rumours swirl around. But this really is like something which we you kind of you could have seen coming at some point and we were led to believe that De Vries would have had until at least the summer break because he was given I think a three race ultimatum. So it was uh, the three races before the summer break, which was Silverstone, Hungary and Belgium. But they've decided to ditch him already decided to ditch him which I think that well firstly if you'd said to me before the start of the season that Logan Sargent would last longer than Nick DeVries I would have uh, I would have laughed at you I'd have said what on earth are you talking about Logan Sargent is not going to outstay Nick DeVries partially because Nick Nick DeVries has just had looked like he has so much potential that uh, visit to the Williams team last year qualified 13th and then that got elevated to 8th place he drove a stellar race in the race itself to come home in ninth and he's got points on debut and all of a sudden he's got the whole paddock swarming around him wanting to sign him ahead of the next season. He was hot property and now 12 months later or so, well not even that, about 10 months later, it's te- in fact it's 10 months to the day since his before, since he got ninth in that Grand Prix in Italy, he's, he's out the door. Shocking perhaps for its, more for its ruthlessness and how quickly it's happened shocking as well for the fact that we thought that this necessarily wouldn't come to fruition until the end of the season maybe also shocking i'm sure we'll get onto it in great depth his replacement daniel ricardo the story arc of his just keeps on keeps on developing turned 34 last week was at severe risk arguably of his f1 career being finished after that mclaren dumping but he's found a way back in 
He's got a seat at Alpha Tauri. Everyone's going to now be saying, "Well, is this an audition for him to to be on the on the path to being in the main team, the main Red Bull team? Is this a sign of things to come? Is this possibly a chance for uh, Alpha Tauri to get a look of him because a look at him because they see him as a better prospect for the Red Bull team than Nick DeVries ever would be?" So, so many questions, and I'm going to let you try and start to answer some of those, to be fair. What do you think, Tom? Is Would you say it's, it's, it's pretty shocking, isn't it? Yeah, you bang on there. Unprecedented, I think, the word that springs to mind for myself, really. And there's some thoughts from Tristan as well. He's not with us today, as you've probably gathered, but we'll try and put those in at some point. But I was shocked by it, because you normally see something happen in the summer break, as you say, or towards the end. And yes... Nick De Vries hasn't had a very good start to the season, I think it's fair to say. Zero points, back-to-back, P17 finishes. Little light at the end of the tunnel, if you will. But the decision to get rid of him now, I think, probably should have been done, if you bear with me for a moment, at the start of the season. I don't see why Daniel Ricciardo wasn't in that Alpha Tauri seat, that car, from the get-go, really, because it was clear from very early on he was going to remain with Red Bull or indeed rejoin them as a reserve driver. So why not go and grab the ball by the horns, jump back into the seat, if you will, and have another go? The fact that he didn't, we can only, I suppose, speculate at this point. But part of me thinks, is it an issue with pay or salary? Because we know that he didn't join Haas for that very reason. Was it a shock and awe after being, let's be honest, below par, really, at McLaren or something else entirely? It's will remain to be seen maybe coming up in future documentaries but surprising that it's happened now for De Vries and I can't help but feel quite sad for him I never really got the hype if I'm being honest I thought that the fact that he got one good result and sat next to Toto Wolf gave him an inflated uh, <laughs> sense of how good he was really when you consider he was getting into Formula 1 at such an, an elderly age for, for the sportsman if you will but um, sad that it's happened and for me, it also begs the question, what is AlphaTauri now? Because they dubbed themselves as a sister team, but when you've got Daniel Ricciardo, who's 34, going into that team now, and then you've got Sonoda, who's wanting to get up the pecking order, if you will, to replace what Perez one day. You've got Liam Lawson, another example about somebody who wants to ultimately get into Formula 1. It's, yet again, a, a vague turn of events, really, when it comes to the future direction of AlphaTauri. They clearly don't want to be seen as a junior team anymore. But um, yeah, I suppose for Ricardo, it's a it's a bastion of fire, if you will, in many ways, because he's going into the Hungarian Grand Prix where qualifying track position is so important. And if you don't get off to a good start, as we saw with him in McLaren season one and two, it's difficult for him really to go and pick that up. He's more of a patchy streak driver, if you will. Do you think that's fair? Can he rekindle some form, maybe? I think that this is possibly his last chance saloon to rekindle some form. Because mm. he's 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 still damaged, I think, by that year on the sideline or the, on the sidelines. On the, it might as well have been a year on the sidelines at uh, McLaren hmm. last year yeah. for the for the work that he did there. I think that he'd been, let's be honest, pretty well beaten by Verstappen in their in their final year together at Red Bull after Verstappen had a slow start. He had done well at Renault, but not incredibly well. I mean, he got on the podium a couple of times, which is impressive in a pretty bog standard car but there's nothing mm. too spectacular the mclaren the win was the standout of a pretty average first year there in 2021 and then last year just instead of going from strength to strength went from weakness to weakness to be honest with you so mm-hmm. for him definitely 
a last chance to prove himself. I think that he always I found that I found it from my side that he has a he has a route back in almost because of how popular he is. He'll he can yeah, he can ride that wave of popularity and he's been spoken about as like it's about like oh it's brilliant he's back in the paddock he's back in Formula One like how great is it to see Ricardo and um what was it uh, that Tristan referenced earlier how Christian Horner was at the the fan zone on the weekend mm. at Silverstone and said would you like me if I brought him back and I'm sure the answer would be yes because Ricardo is very popular he's massive personality he's very well liked across the world and by F1 fans so that for sure is ca- is is carrying him on a crest of a wave. I'd be fascinated to see how he does against Sonoda because Sonoda is a good benchmark, mm-hmm. I think. It'll be a good benchmark for Ricardo and for Sonoda. It'll be a good one for Ricardo yeah. to see if he's still got it, see if the the dip that's occurred is a permanent one or a temporary one. And Sonoda, mm-hmm. for him, it's a chance to... I mean, he's he's done... He's pretty much quite convincingly beaten De Vries. So for him, it's going to be a chance to see can he cut it against someone who was one of the primary drivers in the sport over the last mm-hmm. decade or so? I really like your point about Alpha Tauri. What is it? It's no is it a talent factory? Is it is it something which is just sitting there on the grid? We've heard rumours about it being sold to well, to to anyone really, because Red Bull is starting to think what's the purpose of it? And the more and more you see it, they've replaced they already had diverted from their young driver strategy by get by bringing in De Vries. Okay, now perhaps that's yep. cause, perhaps that's because the lack of options. You mentioned Liam Lawson, who had an all right year in F two last year, now doing well in the the Japanese like Formula Formula Japan Super Formula mm-hmm. over there. Mm-hmm. But what's the point of having that if they're not going to be promoted and instead you're going to bring back what some might say is a, a more of an old showman? So. Mm-hmm. Alpha Tauri's places, but especially now, Alpha Tauri have gone from being a team which, even lo- even the last couple of years in the hands of Gasly, they would really punched above their weight, and now they lie there, they're bottom of the constructors' championship, which I can't remember happening in my in my time watching F one. No, no, we're going to go and rattle through some of Tristan's points as well. He says to start with, it's great to have Daniel Ricciardo back. Looking at De Vries, he said he's a rookie. If they, that being AlphaTauri, not willing to give him a chance, then why bother? He was actually starting to show some potential, allegedly. And so disappointed that wouldn't even keep him to the end of the season. Ricardo must now prove why he's stolen, quote, these seats, uh, this seat rather. And he has to do really what Verstappen did to Daniel Kvyat. And he finishes this with a question saying, do you think Perez is worried? And personally, I don't think Perez is worried in the slightest. In fact, I think he's more secure because if you're Red Bull and you're going to be replacing Sergio Perez with Daniel Ricciardo, that is quite a conservative of being diplomatic move. So let's say Perez falls off a cliff after summer going into summer. I imagine they're looking, they being Red Bull, are looking more at someone like Lando Norris per se than Daniel Ricciardo, a 34-year-old. But maybe not. Maybe they're, as they say, keeping within the uh, the Red Bull family, if you will, which is something that's happened fairly frequently with De Vries being the exception. I find it interesting he mentions about um, De Vries showing some potential because, yeah, I agree with you there, I think, and that I haven't really seen De Vries at any point like rise up and show much potential. Like Even mm-hmm. in qualifying for Silson this weekend, he was half a second off. Intermittently, okay, fine. That was in more challenging conditions, so maybe that's a 
a bit more unfair to have that as a barometer. But even in, in Austria, he was dead last. He was two, two and a bit tenths off Sonoda on a track, which is the shortest of the season. He'll write that he is just, he has lagged behind and he's not looked, he's not looked anything like the driver who ironically did one race for Williams last year. And it's really odd that he can come in. Admittedly, he was up against Nicholas Latifi. So again, not a hugely realistic barometer if you're looking for good, accurate results as to whether a driver is fast. But at the yeah. same time, it's really weird that you think that he's he had a situation where he came in and he was unprepared, literally could not have been un- more unprepared because he only did one practice session in a quali before the race. Mm-hmm. And in that he excelled, but then in a situation where he's had the ultimate preparation, he's just he's just, just not gelled. And I wonder if there's something going on behind the scenes because he really has... Like lots of F1 experts are saying, oh, he's going to be brilliant. He's like twenty. He may be old, but he's got experience. He's a Formula E champion. He has shown well in tests. And if the experts are saying that, you think, well, you know what? They know what they're talking about. So let's, uh, mm-hmm. let's. Uh, it's fair enough for us to get on board with them. But they've been dead wrong. He's been absolutely. He's been absolutely nothing. Uh, absolutely nowhere. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really really odd that he's. He's been in this situation because he showed all the signs and hasn't delivered at all. No, no, agreed. And going back to that Perez point, if you were Sergio Perez, reading this on your phone or elsewhere or being told about it, would you be concerned? How would you feel about the whole thing? (laughs) I think that I might be thinking, why are they bringing in Ricardo? Because that would suggest perhaps that they're angling to get him back in the main team at some point. You've got to bear in mind, I think, that Verstappen in that team it will be very will be all powerful. As mm-hmm. Michael Schumacher used to be at Ferrari, as Lewis Hamilton, as much as we are told, probably was at Mercedes when he had like Bottas, as Bottas especially as a teammate. Mm-hmm. And I think that you want your, your main driver, your world cha- double world champion, who's won six races in a row, you want them to have somebody alongside them who they like. Okay, you want you want them. Yeah. They're going to wield the power, and they want someone alongside them. Now, don't get me wrong. I think that it appears that Verstappen and Perez get on very well. They're from quite different. They're they're, they're quite different personalities, and they're mm-hmm. from quite different worlds. But I get the impression they get on very well. Any competition that Perez might have exuded after the first few races of the year seems to have been whittled away. I still find it crazy that he's got f- five races in a row where he's not reached Q three in a Red Bull. But mm-hmm. I think that Verstappen and Ricardo notoriously are very good friends. They get on very well. Would you have a? They're probably are they thinking? Would you have a happier Verstappen if Ricardo was in the team? Maybe because Verstappen would be a more happy person, but also less of a. Ricardo would be less of a threat, you know, because I yeah. think that he's not going to get as many points as Perez is. I don't think he's going to be as up to speed as Perez would be personally. Mm-hmm. So I might be a bit worried if I'm Perez. Maybe that worry is stemmed from the fact that there's always just a little bit of rumour and talk about the second Red Bull seat. That I feel like there has been for, for years now, whether it was as Sebastian Vettel's teammate back in the 2010s or whether it was uh, Verstappen's teammate or Ricardo's teammate back in the the mid to late 2010s. There's always been gossip about that seat, I think. Would I be worried? I think possibly with Perez. I think that simply because also it coincides as these things often do with the drop-off that he's seen in the last couple of races. I think he's under a bit of pressure now. But Mm -hmm. 
But saying all that, Ricardo could then come in and have an awful start and then we're not talking about that anymore. So I think I'd probably be a little bit worried if I was him overall, but mm. time will tell. It's, no, it's another, it's, it's so easy to say time will tell, but I think, I think, I think it will, honestly. Yeah, we're looking forward then to the Hungarian Grand Prix and indeed the remainder of the season when it comes to Alfa Tauri, Daniel Ricciardo, Perez, all to play for really there. Maybe the leverage, if you will, has shifted more in the direction of Team Red Bull versus Perez. But we first of all, or second of all, must apologise to McLaren because this breaking news story on the Tuesday has really disrupted our schedule. The schedule was to go and have McLaren as the top story because the weekend really does belong to them, really. I can't believe I'm saying that. Uh, they qualified in Q2, Q3. They momentarily, uh, being Lando Norris, took P1 and they finished in P2 and P4. And I think it's fair to say the safety car had a handle in that one for Mr Piastri to not get on the podium, unfortunately. But without sounding too smug, I think it's fair to say those green shoots are sprouting quite nicely, aren't they? Yes, yes, I can, I can see a, a smug smile emerging in uh, some <laughs> some parts of the world. Um, yes, no, it's um, it's yeah, it's quite something. Like I had to blink twice because after after qualifying, I thought, oh, they're second and third. It must have been wet. Oh wait, no, it was completely dry. It was dry, and that's how mm. the how the genuine representative paces, representative paces, and it's. <laughs> I think it is refreshing to see how we talk about often how the pecking order can stay the same in F1 and how you have little changes year on year, but it stays the same generally, and that's mm-hmm. probably fair. But I think it's been really refreshing this year to see, firstly, Aston Martin leap from what seventh to second, effectively, or second seventh to third currently in terms of the constructors' mm-hmm. position, and how they've been able to to jump up so high it's been really it's been brilliant to see that and now mclaren as well they've gone from the in bahrain there was an argument for them being the slowest car at the start of the year they were absolutely woeful it's yeah. probably them and williams at the bottom of the timesheets it was a dire dire situation and to go from that to even in other races like i look at spain and canada as well where they showed some pretty average results and now all of a sudden they are legitimately the second fastest car and they were looking absolutely mm-hmm. brilliant at Silverstone. I think it will be track specific. I think that, and that's what they're alluding to as well in the team. I think they're quite realistic about that. Silverstone full of high speed corners, low speed is less of a factor. So they were belting quick through the high speed, but I think you get to a circuit like Hungary, for example, and they'll drop, but then Spa after that with high speed, they could rise again. I think that mm-hmm. it's, it's a brilliant sign for for them and also a great lift in the Constructors' Championship. They've gone from flirting with Williams and Haas down there in seventh to leapfrogging Alpine and taking us more of a stranglehold of that, that fifth place. Mm-hmm. So green green shoots, absolutely. They've had like a, an overnight... It's like they've been hibernation for a, for a little while and they've had an overnight sprout <laughs> of McLaren. I just want to give, a, obviously, all the plaudits, I think. Not all the plaudits, but I think a lot of the plaudits will go to Norris. Because obviously he, mm-hmm. he drove brilliantly, and I mean I've been saying personally for, and I'm sure lots of people have for a long time how good he is. I think this weekend, here is this shows what he'd be like in a good car. I think he's an extremely good driver, and he needs a good car to show his absolute best talent because he's been in average cars over the year, over the years, and he still that was his seventh podium as a Formula One driver, which is a very impressive statistic in 
what is effectively a midfield car or has been a midfield car for a while. But aside from him, I think Oscar Piastri was absolutely brilliant. I think that he's oh, yeah. ha- he's had a low-key start based on the hype. Remember this time last year when all the court cases and everything and all the all the, the drama that preceded <laughs> yeah. him joining the team. I think that all of that was inevitably going to lead to people saying, wow, when he comes to Formula 1, he better be like the best thing since sliced bread. And because he hasn't mm-hmm. been the sl- best thing since sliced bread, I think people have been on maybe on his back a little bit, but he's been quietly res- like moving up, doing better, up against possibly one of the toughest teammates in F1. I think this weekend he had an absolutely brilliant uh, weekend. Like you said, safety car shafted him a little bit, stopped him getting on the podium. Mm-hmm. If you watch the start back, Norris gets an absolute belter, doesn't he, off the line. But Piastri as well. Piastri launched and he kind of got to the inside but then didn't have any room because Norris and Verstappen were, were battling. On, an, on, another, on another day, on another track, he's in the lead off the back of that momentum. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, green green shoots. I don't know what the um the the exaggerated version of green shoots or the um the next level of green shoots would be, but it definitely felt like that this weekend. They were absolutely stunning the McLarens. Exactly, it's like uh, Jack and the Beanstalk, isn't it? Really, in terms of how well they've been doing <laughs> over one or two races. But you're right there with your earlier point. It's so good to see that when you look at Spain, for example, and Canada, you've got Mercedes doing better than expected, and then go to Austria and Ferrari doing better than expected, and then you go to this Grand Prix and it's McLaren who are doing excellent both in qualifying and then converting that for the race. It's a shame, obviously, we don't see that at the very top of the grid, but it's without recycling the same use of words again green shoots to the the sport moving forward and how the regulations can work but yes congratulations to mclaren really is one thing to go and have a good qualifying pace and as they did in monaco it's another thing indeed a different one entirely to go and convert that and i think that feelings of calm and consistency were really evident when it came to both drivers which is something we haven't seen in a while really i'd say we haven't seen that with respect uh, when Daniel Ricciardo is at the team because there was one driver doing so well and the other one lagging behind. I think that Norris and Piastri have got the making of a Norris and Sainz duo, if you will, where they're both consistently up there uh, and indeed there's no weak link at all. And from Monaco, really, to mention that again, McLaren really have been building slowly, slowly, slowly and indeed it's exploded now when it comes to this Grand Prix and the result. And for me, I'm looking very much at the Netherlands Grand Prix, the Belgian Grand Prix as well in terms of the circuit makeup because for me, if just looking at the upcoming calendar or remainder of it, they're probably the most uh, similar circuits to Silverstone that we've got left. I can't imagine, for example, going to Hungary, they're going to be doing as well. It may be more of a sort of, I suppose, back to basics, if you will, a, a humbler, uh, keeping feet on ground and all that when we see historically how they've not been amazing at circuits like that. But um definitely reasons to be optimistic and they're now challenging Alpine after once again a double DNF for that team and who's to say they can't not only consolidate that place but also look a bit higher as well because once again we saw Ferrari having an indifferent weekend we saw strategy not working out for them granted the safety car really didn't help and the hard just weren't working for them but it's a huge deficit I grant you but if they can carry on in this vein they can at least trouble them and then hopefully build on from this moving into next season not have such a a delayed or slow start really because I think when you're looking at how well they're doing now and how well they can do and have done 
previously in races gone by, I think a lot of people will be kicking themselves really because the talent's there in the car, but the car itself is is taking time really. But I think there's shockwaves going through the paddock, particularly when it comes to Mercedes, for example. Lewis Hamilton calling for serious conversations about the direction of the car. Dun dun dun. Uh, but remains to be seen, I suppose, what this will do for McLaren and what this will mean for Aston Martin and the entirety of the grid bar Red Bull, really. But so good to see. The question is, I suppose, from this, do you expect McLaren to cash in and beat Alpine? Can they do it? Or is this, once again, a last sort of mad dash, if you will, that they may fall shy of again? I think I can see them cashing in <laughs> simply because other than Monaco where Alpine got third and seventh and that was their kind of their standout result of the year. Mm-hmm. They haven't had a result like this similar to McLaren that McLaren have had because Alpine, the Monaco race, they were on a track where their track Ocon qualified well, he had track position and realistically he wasn't going to be surpassed for that third place. But mm-hmm. this is a circuit where overtaking can happen aplenty. There'd be plenty of chances for a team who were strong in qualifying but less strong in the race to fall back and to not hammer home the advantage. But that didn't happen to McLaren. They absolutely mm-hmm. hammered home their advantage. They took, other than the only reason they didn't take the maximum points on offer would have been because of the safety car the piece of bad luck with Piastri. Otherwise, they would have been taking home 33 points, which would have been quite incredible. I'm glad you asked me a question because I was going to—I was preparing my question of my own to you, which Ooh. was, uh, okay. it could it could go under the, the, bold, the bold category. With this, okay. are McLaren contenders for a race win later in the season? Ooh, well, if you'd have asked me that a few weekends ago, I'd have called you crazy. But looking yeah. at how well someone like Aston Martin have done at uh, specific tracks, they've tailed off slightly. Who's to say after this weekend that looking forward to circuits that are more similar to Silverstone, they can't get a bit of luck, for example, can't at least get a double podium. I mean, at the moment, I'm going to jinx this horribly, no doubt. Uh, but it seems that Red Bull, Verstappen, if we're being honest and specific, look unstoppable. If I'm being honest, they look Teflon. They look indestructible. Mm. Use any other word you want to. But I think it's only going to be luck that's going to go and make a a McLaren victory. But a McLaren victory is now possible, if I'm being honest. I think a McLaren victory is probably more likely than a Ferrari victory. But granted, that's because of Ferrari's uh, interesting decisions, if I'm going to put it diplomatically. Yeah, and I say also, is is it too harsh to argue that a McLaren victory currently looks more likely than an Aston Martin victory because Aston Martin have mm-hmm. dropped off quite a little bit in the last few races. They're still maintaining a good enough rate of points to keep in the battle for second in the constructors, but I don't think it's too unfair to say that McLaren winning a race, like you say, at a circuit like Spa or Zandvoort, I'm trying to look mm-hmm. at the the rest of the calendar in terms of high-speed circuits. I guess you've got Brazil, Sao Paulo in the later in the season. I suppose that upgrades may come more into into the equation later on the season but there's a couple of races coming up Monza as well with its high speed there's a couple of races coming up where McLaren could definitely be race win contenders due to the le- the less chance that they'll be overtaken in that in the foreseeable future and I think it's exciting for F1 fans that they've got a another potential winner in the uh, the realms of the grid at the moment 
And I think it's a great shame yeah. for Tristan that he was not here today because I'm sure he would have been. Hmm. We wouldn't. We wouldn't have been able to get a a word in edgeways were he to be on the podcast. Such as his his passion for the the boys in uh, Orange and Chrome this this weekend. Yeah. Indeed, lovely livery, and I think they converted that without just looking pretty, if you will. I'd agree there. I think there's five constructors who can win a race on their day. I think if you were to go and say to me, put a bet down now, who's going to win a race that's not Red Bull, I'd probably say Mercedes or McLaren. But granted, this is only one good race for McLaren, so maybe I'm just drinking too much of the Kool-Aid. But definitely the Mercedes cars look the better ones in terms of uh, their ability. I mean that by the works team and and McLaren and well Aston Martin have had their time but maybe they've had their time in the sun and that was at the start of the season so I think eyes on them when it comes to Hungary and moving forwards with a slight caveat when it comes to Aston Martin because they're having a bit of the McLaren syndrome if you will one driver pulling the team along the other one pulling it in a different direction but um but yes we I suppose we can't not talk as well about another issue a smaller issue granted the safety car that was one that triggered change in the race, I think it's fair to say. You had Magnussen DNFing, you had uh, the Haas team not showing great reliability, and out popped a virtual safety car when he was parked on, I believe, Hangar Straight, and then that soon became a safety car. Now, there's always winners and losers from this setup. Sonoda, Bottas, Albon, and Eclera are some. But for me, when a car's smoking away on fire in that part of the track, why is there not a full safety car? Do you think it was weird? For there to be a virtual safety car and not a full safety car. Yes, I can see the argument why. Because, especially, we think the main thing with car being on fire, if there's oil on the track, that's dangerous, isn't it? That's the dangerous part. Mm. So, mm-hmm. I think that there's definitely an argument for it. I think that there will always be a reason for the race stewards making the decisions they did. But, I'd say that... I don't know. It's a tricky one because it's very easy to say. Is there are lots of decisions when which stewards make where you you find yourself saying, "Oh, I wouldn't have made that decision. What do they? What are they doing? Do they know what they're doing with mm-hmm. their job?" But um, mm. yeah, it's a tricky one. It's a tricky one. But I think that at least we can say that my point of view of it would be that if that is the if that is the the thing that we're focusing on in terms of what's happened in terms of stewarding, then I say we're. We're not doing too badly. If you think of some of the yeah, some agreed. of the, some of the, some of the things we've had over the last year or two that we've um, gone on uh, in plenty uh, plentiful on this on this podcast, it's uh, it's not ended up too badly. I say. What do you think? Yeah, no, I have to agree. It's not exactly a huge issue. It's more of a nitpick, really, in so far as the race, which wasn't too eventful. I just thought it was quite bizarre. And I don't mean that in so far as I'm wanting stewards to go and throw yellow flags, red flags, whatever flags, whenever there's the slightest bit of danger. But I just thought the nature of it, where it was, I thought they would have come down a bit more hard with a safety car, judging by how often they go and throw that to a point. And also delay races and make people go or indeed the drivers go through uh, the paddock, the, the pit lane when it comes to issues. So I just thought it was a bit out of character is the way I put it. But there was no harm done. I mean, there's always going to be winners and losers from a virtual safety car to a safety car or a safety car to a safety car, if you will. Norris and Verstappen were huge winners. Uh, Piastri, a loser. Um, so I suppose that is just, that's Formula One. That's racing, to quote the famous Daniel Kvyat, who's no doubt looking... <laughs> forward to what his successor in both uh, well in the AlphaTauri is going to be doing moving forwards on a slight caveat but 
looking away from that caveat now, let's return to another team that's done very well, albeit further down the grid, but still point to points, and it's particularly huge for Williams Racing. Alex Albon qualified eighth, finished in eighth, and something that raised more eyebrows, I think, than Albon converting at more points or a good qualifying position. Mr. Sargent qualified 14th up to P11, not a point, unfortunately, one away from it, but... um. Tristan's P7 prediction for Williams in the Constructors is looking pretty pretty now because they are there, they're in P7, they've got 11 points, joint albeit. Our thoughts on Williams, they're starting to go and make it consistent rather than just a, a one-off, if you will. I forgot about that prediction. I forgot we also called him crazy, I think, when he did that. We did. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's not... It's, uh, mm, yikes. Uh, <laughs> But at the same time, I mean, what you, you said Alfa Romeo to come fourth. So, I mean, to be fair, that's... Uh, oh, that was AI. That was a deep fake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, you're, it's, we're right to mention Williams, or should we call them Alex Albon Mercedes rather than Williams Mercedes? Or is that a bit... That's my, maybe, maybe a bit harsh, because Sargent has been, has been stepping up in recent races. I think that he is still showing a pace deficiency to Albon, but then Albon's good, isn't he? He's very good at the moment. He's, mm. he's showing excellent turn of speed. He is arguably, some might say, making a case for the second Red Bull seat, some might say. Mm-hmm. I mean, probably mm-hmm. to, uh, I think his in his mind, he seems to at least have distanced himself from Red Bull. And he's saying categorically now that Williams is his future. And mm-hmm. I can see why, to be fair, because they seem to be on the up. Remember at the start of the year, they appointed... James Valls, the former Mercedes chief strategist, he's the current team principal there. New beginning, uh, new life at Mercedes. Uh, I'm Mercedes, sorry. New life at Williams. And I'm not saying all the all the improvement is down to him necessarily, but they're definitely showing a an improved an improved traje- trajectory in terms of where they're going. He's producing some mm-hmm. barnstorming results. Eighth in qualifying to eighth in the race this weekend, just gone. Brilliant result. We spoke about his seventh in Canada where he used all his skills with tyre management, but also cleverly used the Williams car to his advantage. And I think he did it at Silverstone again this weekend in terms of how the car is fast in a straight line. And that meant that he could, whether he could keep up with cars such as Perez or Alonso or the Ferraris not always but could he hold them back in a train and break the DRS uh, train get close enough to someone in front of him yes he could and he did that absolutely brilliantly I think that was the foundation of his of his eighth place finish and to finish ahead of both Ferraris is definitely an an eye-catching result and they are on the up they are now ahead of as you mentioned up to seventh so they've dipped ahead of Haas on count back mm-hmm. because they both had a seventh, but then Haas uh, do not have an eighth place, whereas Alex Albon and Williams do. And also ahead of Alfa Romeo, lest we forget. So they've jumped ahead of mm-hmm. Alfa Romeo likewise, and they are sitting pretty in seventh place. I don't think they're getting any higher because Alpine and McLaren have both had strong enough starts to the season that they are further ahead, but Williams are looking good. And again, if we spoke about McLaren being track specific, I think the Williams. Probably more track-specific as well. They've had some good upgrades, sure, but I think they're going to be stronger on tracks where straight-line speed is paramount, like Spa, like Monza, which are actually both coming up, of course. 
So indeed. Yeah, I for, yeah, very good for them. I think if we're talking about green shoots, they are in the the ca- the category of green shoots because they've really turned turned a corner recently and I didn't think that after their season last year where or was it they came last in the constructors they gained mm-hmm. solitary eight points they've already beaten their total from last year so yeah, they're doing, yeah. yeah doing an excellent job and I argue their trajectory is set to continue would that be would that mm-hmm. be fair to say it certainly looks that way, doesn't it? They've got a young team principal who's just moved over and already had a good effect, I think it's fair to say. You've got a team leader in Albon. He's starting to mould into that nicely. You've got Logan Sargent, someone who's improving, keeping the car on track, which may sort of promote, uh, provoke some laughter, if you will. But it's so important, really, when you have someone like him, the ability to go and make steady improvements versus, with respect to Latifi, bidding into the wall more often than you'd like. So in that aspect, I think that P7 is certainly possible, certainly possible for Williams. I think you're right, it's looking fairly unlikely they'll raise right, right, they'll rise higher than that. But the fact that they're there is, is remarkable, really. The fact that we scoffed at Tristan's prediction speaks volumes, really, about how well they're doing. And they are cashing in and making a consistent play with what they've got. And seeing how well they did in practice, for example, is frankly... Is frankly unprecedented huge other words that you want to use really so congratulations to them i think they'll keep that seventh place if i'm honest or indeed may dip down to eighth but i can't see any below that really when we look at alpha tauri how poorly they're doing alpha romeo how poorly they're doing Haas, reliability issues consistent from austria through to silverstone as well not looking great for them and they're not scoring too many points in the sort of more recent races or part of the season so the the open goals there, if you will, a chances there for Williams to go and cash in, and I think that Williams may struggle to keep hold of Alex Albon moving forwards. Now, this all depends on where other drivers go, what happens in the markets, and I'm not saying for one moment this is imminent, but I can see a scenario where Norris goes to Red Bull, Albon okay. goes to McLaren, and then someone has to go and fill that Williams seat, but. I mean, obviously, if you're a Williams fan or a Williams employee or affiliated, you want me to just shut up because it's so good at the moment for them. But do you think that's possible? Could Albon go to McLaren, maybe? I think that, as is such as Formula One, the more and more you do in a team which is lower down the grid, the more and more your prospects for moving up the grid are improved and for which the argument against it is lessened. That's a nice little switch you've got there. Norris to Red Bull, we know that they're interested in him. We know that Verstappen and Norris are good friends. We know that Norris actually turned down Red Bull's advances about a year or so ago, which looks like a interesting decision, shall we say, in hindsight. Mm. And mm. There's, if there's interest there, and there's a, if there's if there's a want, there's a will. To be honest, as is sometimes the case. So mm-hmm. that's a move I can see happening, and a, a nice replacement at McLaren. Albon and Piastri sounds quite nice in the. Uh, in the the McLaren car. Could we possibly see? It may be a couple of years off because Hamilton looks like he's returning to somewhere near his peak after a rocky year last year. But could, in the future, there be a possibility of an Albon-Russell pairing at Mercedes? You know, as a, a replacement. There's links there. James Valls used to work for Mercedes as much as, pardon me, as much as they wouldn't want that to be a sign of a satellite team. Is there a possibility of it happening? I wouldn't rule that out either, but I think that Albon's definitely doing himself no disservice, shall we say, to keep on upping his performance levels as he 
as he is. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And I think if you were to go and look at the constructors in a more crude fashion and say there's the top six as stands of Red Bull looking down to Alpine, I'm looking at the standings as is. And then 7th to 10th are, quote, smaller teams, I think it's fair to say, satellite teams, B teams, affiliated teams, etc. I think if you're looking at those eight drivers there at the bottom from 7th to 10th, he is certainly the pick of the bunch to go and make that step up, really. And I think we're seeing why he was part of that Red Bull team for so long, why he was given the chance so young as well in the works team. And I think we may see an interesting character arc, a character arc better than Daniel Ricciardo, for example. Maybe something, uh, albeit a diluted version, but a version like Alonso where people thought, oh, well, he's done and dusted. He's not coming back. He's had his chance in the sun. That's that. Off your pop. And he comes back and proves everyone wrong, granted, to a lesser extent. But I think if you're if you're Mr. Albon, things looking pretty where you are, or indeed we could go in the future, so congratulations to him, he thoroughly deserves it. And on that bombshell, that seems that's all we got time for in terms of episode 21 of F1 in Review 2023. Thank you very much for listening all the way to the end of this one, featuring just myself and Angus. Uh, rest assured, Tristan will return. He's moving home, a spoiler alert, and was not able to be here this weekend, but um, or indeed this recording session, but he'll be back in action next week. So any Tristan fans, don't you worry. You can follow us on Twitter and TikTok as well, F1 in Review being our handle there and we will return next week as I say to discuss a bit more about the Silverstone Grand Prix the British Grand Prix and to look forward to the Hungarian Grand Prix so thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next week